Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. We're in a series about worship called The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests. How we worship shapes us, and one of the things we miss out, especially in Western Church, is how to worship a triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, John gives us some important background on Trinitarian worship to encourage us. Here's a message called, How Great is Our Triune God? Part 2. The Trinitarian nature of God is foundational to the true worship of God in the church. No Trinity, no worship, no real God. I want you to listen that even though God as a Trinity is a mystery, he is not unknowable. Because the triune God has revealed himself in Scripture and revealed himself most definitively in his Son, you and I can know him. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. God is spirit. God is eternal. You can't see spirit. He's eternal. He's invisible, Paul says in 2 Timothy, to the eternal, invisible God who alone is wise. He's invisible. You can't see him. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, who would that be? He has made him known. Jesus incarnate, the eternal Son, begotten of the Father, sharing the same essence as the Father eternally forever, comes in the incarnation and reveals this invisible, eternal spirit God to us. While God is knowable, he is also, listen, incomprehensible. We can understand the Trinity because we can see Jesus who reveals the Father to us. And even though we cannot fully comprehend or exhaust our knowledge of God as Trinity, we can know God and truly worship God as the Athanasian Creed says. How great is our God? How often do we like to sing that song, yet we want an understandable God? We want a God we can control. We want a God that's seeker-friendly, so people come and it's relevant. You can relate to this God, right? How do you relate to a trinity? You can't compare the trinity to anything, so forget the eggs and forget, you know, the yolk and the shell. Nothing works. Nothing. Don't even go there. We sing how great is our God, yet how often do we take the time to truly reflect on how great our triune God really is? Let me ask you a question. This isn't meant to make you feel guilty. It's just meant to probe a little. All right? Stick a little. When is the last time you read a work on the Trinity and had your heart explode with awe and wonder and amazement? Trinitarian worship gives us a reason to say how great is our God. Trinitarian worship adds beauty to our worship. Trinitarian worship, Michael Reeves says, enables us to do what David said he could do all the days of his life. What did David say he could do all the days of his life? Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And do you know why the Lord is beautiful? Because he's a trinity. So Trinitarian worship adds beauty to our worship. Trinitarian worship adds mystery to our worship. I want you to listen to Margali. 
Listen to what he wrote in his book, Beyond Smells and Bells. Listen to what he says about mystery and worship. He says, the authentic worship of this God must at some level remain incomprehensible. Worship that enables us to encounter the living God should leave worshipers a bit stupefied. They should leave their pews, pump their minister's hand, I like that, and enthusiastically blurt out, I didn't understand large portions of the service. Thank you. Worship that doesn't in some way leave a large space for transcendence and mystery is not fully worship of the God of the Bible who when asked to name himself to explain his essence, God said rather aggressively to Moses, I am who I am. You see, by participating in the liturgy, we are doing more than just attending a church service. Something much greater than that's going on. James Smith says that Christian worship is nothing less than an invitation to participate in the life of the triune God. You ever thought about that? That's astounding. In the Trinity, we are invited into the life and love of God. Why is God love? The Bible says God is love. Why is he love? Because he is a trinity. And because he's a trinity, he is the God of love. And corporate worship is an invitation into the life and love of this triune God, this perfect, mutual, self-giving, and self-loving relationship has been going on since eternity past and will go on forever to eternity future. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 opens up with a Trinitarian teaching. There, all three members of the Trinity are present in creation. And John chapter 1 confirms that for us. This liturgy takes us into, Mark Golly says, a strange world, one that is not about the self, which so easily becomes banal, but about a glorious God, not about a solitary, dispassionate God who lives in peaceful isolation within his own perfections, but a God who from eternity has lived in community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's well stated. And so the gathering together of God's gathered guests is no small thing on Sunday. This is, this is a huge thing that we do every Sunday morning. So let me ask you a question. When you hear the name of God, when you hear the name God, do you immediately think Trinity, the triune God of grace, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? When you hear the name God, is that immediately what you think? Regrettably, many do not, but we should you see, here, here's the point about liturgy now. 
one of the benefits of using historic liturgies of the church is that they teach our hearts to think and to pray and to sing and to witness in a Trinitarian way. The historic liturgies provide a Trinitarian framework for our prayers to the Father and the Son by the Holy Spirit. You see, it wasn't until I began growing in my understanding of historic Christian worship that I became self-consciously Trinitarian in my thinking, in my theology, and in my worship. I will tell you that for the majority of my Christian life, until just maybe up to about the age of 30, I was a Unitarian, and I didn't even know it. Did not even know it. But when I discovered and when I began to discover the rich Trinitarian themes rooted in Reformation liturgies like the Book of Common Prayer or Calvin's Genevan and Strasbourg liturgies that he wrote for the Reformed churches there in Geneva and Strasbourg, when I began to study, when I began to go back, when I began to look at the church, how is the church worshipped? What did they confess? What did they believe? How did they shape people? What were their intentions behind trying to help shepherd the flock in the church of God? What were they doing? My mind began to be awakened. My heart began to be awakened and informed and refreshed. And I began to be filled with awe and wonder and mystery and praise of God who is a trinity. Listen very carefully. The way we worship is not just an expression of our faith. It is part of what shapes our faith. Lex arandi, lex credendi. Remember that Latin phrase we got from Prosper of Aquitaine? Great name, Prosper, right? The law of praying is the law of believing. What we do in worship affects our theology, what we believe. How many of you have been taught to be Trinitarian simply by attending public worship in this church? How many of you have had your mind shift in your thinking about who God is because you've come to public worship and heard, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, over and over and over again? You see, tragically, as I said, prior to discovering historic Christian worship, I was a Unitarian. The the Scottish theologian uh, James Torrance has a book on the Trinity and worship and community. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because I don't have time this morning, but in it, he explains the difference between Unitarian worship and Trinitarian worship. So let me just summarize it. Basically, what he says is, in Unitarian worship, we just kind of come to church and we just do our thing. We listen to a sermon, we sing a few songs, we might give a little bit of money, we might say a little prayer, we just kind of do our worship with the minister, what he calls thing. But we never have that connected to the sole mediatorship of Christ. We never have it connected to the work of the Holy Spirit who leads us to Christ and to God the Father. We never think about the fact that apart from Christ in worship, we can't just do our little worship thing and have it accepted. But how often do we just come to church and do our minister with the worship thing, James Torrance says, and then just leave and go about our day and never give thought to the fact that apart from the Trinity, we couldn't give true worship. I was guilty of that for a long time in my life. But then he explains Trinitarian worship 
And he says it like this, worship is the gift. So what we're doing today, remember the gift giver and his gifts? Worship is a gift from the gift giver who is the triune God. And worship is the gift of participating through the Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father. I know you're going, wow, say that again. So listen again, listen, because this is true Christian worship. Doesn't get more authentic than this right here. Worship is the gift of participating, listen, through the Spirit in the incarnate Son's communion with the Father. Trinitarian worship is made possible, James Smith says, by Trinitarian operations of grace. What does he mean by that? Let me explain it to you. Listen. There's a downward movement and an upward movement in the flow of our worship. And the downward movement and the flow of the church's worship, it first comes from the Father in the Son by the Holy Spirit. So our salvation comes from God the Father, it is carried out in God the Son, and it is applied by God the Holy Spirit. They're all working together. It is from the Father, in the Son, by the Spirit. That's how the triune God comes to us. And then the upward flow of the church's worship is, okay, well, let's just go do our thing. You know what I mean? I'll offer up a little prayer. No, listen. The upward flow or movement of the church's worship is we come to the Father How do we come to the Father safely? In the Son. And how do we get in the Son? By the Holy Spirit. And who is carrying us into the Son? Who unites us to the Son? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit carries me. By the Holy Spirit, I'm brought to the Son. And the Son, with the Holy Spirit, brings me to the Father safely. That's the, that's the Trinitarian operations of grace, movement of worship from the Father in the Son, listen, by the Spirit, to the Father in the Son, by the Spirit. This downward movement of Christian worship, James Smith says, it begins with the Father's gracious and free revelation of the divine nature to the church through the Son, by means of the Holy Spirit. And then our response in worship, our singing, our confession, our praying, whatever we do, our giving, all of our responses are also in this upward movement motivated by the triune God, made possible and acceptable by the triune God. What did Peter say? We offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, listen, through Jesus Christ our Lord. No mediation of Jesus, no acceptable worship to the Father. Jesus takes all of my worship, filters out the sin, covers me, and presents this sorry little offering to the Father, and the Father says, accepted. And the Holy Spirit animates and makes possible that whole response of worship to the Father. Paul makes this exact point in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, when he writes this. 
For we are the circumcision who worship, listen, who worship by the Spirit of God. We worship the living God by means of the power of the Spirit of God. And so this means our acclamation to God is made possible by the gracious work of the Spirit, the gracious work of the Son, who leads us back to the gracious Father who sent them. Everything comes from the Father in the Son by the Holy Spirit. And everything goes to the Father in the Son by the Holy Spirit. That's Trinitarian worship. That's true worship. That's what we're doing here. And so possessing this Trinitarian view of Christian worship is of paramount importance, pun intended. Okay, so here's the fourth point about this opening acclamation. The opening acclamation not only has a Trinitarian emphasis, it has a kingdom emphasis. Listen carefully to this opening acclamation. So, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be his kingdom now and forevermore. Amen. You see, the importance of this opening acclamation signals to the church what is happening in the church's worship, the greatness of what is happening in the church's worship. It is directing our hearts, our faith, to the inauguration and consummation of the kingdom of God. This great cosmic salvation plan directing our hearts to that end. What did Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? He teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, what? Your kingdom come. So what is God's kingdom? It's very simple. It is the rule of God, and it is the realm that he rules. That's all it is. And so God's kingdom, defined simply, is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So, as we come with this opening acclamation, and blessed be his kingdom now and forever, amen, when we declare that with praise and thanksgiving to God, this opening acclamation quickens our hearts, brings our hearts into focus, reminding us of the inauguration of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. The inauguration of the kingdom of God, God's kingdom present right now in our midst. God's reign and rule in our midst this morning. That acclamation quickens us to go, wow, he's here reigning and ruling amongst his people. And so at present, how does the kingdom of God come? How does he reign and rule amongst his people? Listen carefully. Jesus exercises his kingly power through the scepter of his preached gospel. That's Graham Goldsworthy. Through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit rules the hearts of men, conquers their dead hearts, brings them to life, forgives their sin, gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit, leads them throughout life the sanctification of the Holy Spirit to the ultimate goal of glorification and the consummation of God's kingdom. That is God coming now in the power of the Holy Spirit, conquering and ruling hearts in salvation through the gospel. 
And then in this opening acclamation, it only quickens our hearts for the inauguration of God's kingdom now, but it also reminds us of the consummation of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. We are reminded in this opening acclamation of the whole purpose of our salvation, the whole purpose of our creation and existence, the consummation of God's kingdom when Christ comes again in his second coming. When Christ comes again in his second coming, all people, Jews, Gentiles, every race, every language, every people, every tongue will be one people of God. Listen, and the new heavens and new earth under God's rule and blessing forever and ever. And the words of John in Revelation verse 15 will be fully realized. What is it? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's what this opening acclamation is all about, folks. It is pointing us to the consummation where that will take place. It draws us to the consummation of ultimate reality. In other words, it powerfully refocuses and reshapes our lives in a very powerful way every week. And so the opening acclamation reminds us of the greatness of what is happening in the divine service, the Holy Spirit through the gospel conquering hearts, ruling in the hearts of men by grace, giving them life from death, forgiving sin, sanctifying them from their sin, leading them in a triumphal procession, Paul says, to the ultimate consummation of the kingdom of God where he will reign forever and ever. Amen. So as we reflect on the, this morning on this opening acclamation, we discover that this acclamation is far more than just a mere greeting. This isn't dead liturgy, you know, so blessed be God. Oh yeah, I've heard that last week. Let's get on with it. Mm -mm. This is not just a mere greeting. It is an affirmation that takes us to the very heart of our faith and to the very heart of reality itself. This opening acclamation to bless God is to give expression to a life that is centered in a triune God of grace and glory. It is to give expression to a yearning to be so, to be centered in this triune God of love and fellowship. This is the essence of what life is all about. This is the essence of what the church is all about, the glorification of God and the glorification of his people. This opening acclamation, listen to this great Anglican theologian, he says this. The opening acclamation, in one nutshell, is the whole of worship. This was sung by the morning stars at the creation. It is sung by angels and archangels. We mortals were created to sing it and decided otherwise in Eden. The saints are those who have learned once more to sing it. And we will sing it forever in paradise in the new heavens and the new earth. Hell hates this song. Evil cannot sing it at all. For in it is gathered up the joyous order of heaven and earth. Namely that God, the triune God, is to be blessed by his creatures. 
This is the very thing all creatures, all angels, angels and archangels, and all men and all beasts and all creeping things and all floods and all great deeps, these are the very things they were made for. For us to learn this is to begin to approach a joy that is unimaginable to us until we ourselves are glorified. We see what God is and what he has done, and we, with the whole creation, respond with blessed. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom now and forever. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. 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 Feels good to do that, doesn't it? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Wow. We don't even know what to pray at this point. So if we just say thank you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so, like the Apostle Paul, we say, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called, How Great is Our Triune God? Part 2. More from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.